we should be treating retail media as a contributor to the overall shopper strategy uh, that's part of it as well as marketing so it's complicated because you've got brands you've got shopper team you've got the retailer but ultimately i think the way the big education piece which i still don't know the answer on is how do we integrate uh, the needs of the shopper team with the needs of the media team and ensure that we're all helping each other out not you know fighting for the cannibalizing and and that sort of thing i think that's a big piece that we all need to learn Welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Ella Sagar. Now, if you'll indulge me for a second, I want to cast your mind back to September 2021. I had just started at the Media Leader, and one of the first pieces I ever wrote was about Boots launching Boots Media Group, or BMG, its own network taking advantage of first-party data from its then 17 million Advantage Card members to create larger and more targeted joint marketing campaigns. At the time, I wrote it was part of a maturing trend of retailers becoming more like media companies. And that was before other retailers like Morrison's and more recently Lidl, as well as companies like Deliveroo, Uber and Revolut developed their own offerings for advertisers and other pre-existing networks like Tesco's, Sainsbury's, ASOS, Curry's, and even more are doubling down on enhancing uh, their offerings. So what should we make of this groundswell of companies launching and developing retail media networks? And retail media ad spend forecast saying it will overtake linear TV in the US before 2030. To make sense of this rapidly evolving space, I'm delighted to be joined by Kiese Lamour, Global Head of Media at Wonderman Thompson Commerce, and Simon Akers, Media Strategist and Founder of Consultancy Archman. Thanks for joining me both. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having me. Uh, So to start off with, if we dive right in, uh, if you wouldn't mind, Simon, if we start with you, how did you... both like get started media and then what's kind of been the drawing you to retail media recently good question so i started more from the performance side so my furor into media was very much via uh, as we would call performance so affiliate search display and obviously being uh, inanely irritated by not knowing what's going on and wanting to know i wanted to know full funnel and learn everything and the curiosity got the better of me and i wanted to learn full media so the provenance of it was very much digital and performance. Now, a lot of my roles, one of which was a global client leader, a network agency, and one of their MOs of the scope was performance and commerce. So I was very much introduced as part of the scope of, as well as the likes of display and search. I was very much introduced to things like Amazon and Critio and the co-ops and the pure players. And this was 2017, right? Mm -hmm. So it was before that it had this nice retail media naming bow on it, but that was kind of my furore into it. And it made sense because it kind of, as far as they were concerned, tied in with performance media. Okay, makes sense. And Kiese, is is there any, are there any parallels with your journey into media and then retail media more specifically? So media, how I landed in media, I think it's, um, because I, I, when I left school many, many, many years ago, please don't ask me when. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started working in, in product marketing and then um, somewhere along the line decided to go into digital because at that time Google started popping and then I was talking to my mentor at the time and, uh, you know, one of the advice that he gave me about future-proofing my career was to go into digital. So that's how I landed in digital media. And I started, obviously, like everybody else um, in search. I was working for Google at the time, did five years there. And then from there, everything just catapulted. I, you know, tried programmatic. I tried paid social. um, And then really started dabbling my feet into retail media around 2015. 
back then I was at Omnicarmen. We were working uh, on a partnership between EMEA, which used to be, uh, if you remember back then, uh, uh, EMEA. And then from there, you know, I, I just continued working in digital media until I landed here in, in commerce at, at Wonderman Thompson. So I've tried a few things, client side, agency side, mm-hmm. and now consultancy side. Interesting. I think one of the things that I see often now um, when reading around this topic is that there's a lot of different vocabulary used and that's, you kind of hinted at it, Simon, um, but Kiese, if you wouldn't mind demystifying a bit, there's a commerce media, uh, retail media and shopper media, and I'm sure I'm missing more, but why why make the distinction? What, why is that important? To be fair, they all overlap and intersect, right, to a certain extent and to a certain degree, but also have their specific nuances. If you think about shopper marketing, I usually call it shopper marketing rather than shopper media, um, and for, for the reasons that I'm going to say uh, later on, you understand why, really focuses on improving the, the shopping experience, so to speak, for consumers um, in order to drive sales both in-store and also online um, at the point of purchase. So it is uh, different from traditional advertising and promotions, um, so to speak. But I know that when we speak of shopper marketing, you know, we tend to focus predominantly on in-store activations, but it's broader than that. Um, then you look at commerce media and the way that we define commerce media at Wonderman Thompson, because there's so many definitions out there, just like there were so many definitions for programmatic out there when it started popping. Um, we define uh, commerce media as media that is sold and bought at or near the, the point of purchase. So this will obviously include on-site digital activation. So as that you can buy, let's say, on Tesco's or Amazon's or Walmart's website, um, off-site digital activation. So think about partnerships with DSPs and social platforms and broadcasters leveraging first-party data, so the retailer's data. But this also includes, as far as we're concerned, out-of-store activations and also CRM and in-home activations because our heritage is in commerce and we offer end-to-end commerce you know, uh, capabilities and offerings to clients. So our, our commerce view is broader than just the digital element. And then you look at retail media. We would consider very much retail media as a subset uh, of commerce media with retail media uh, focusing on quote-unquote traditional retailers, so your Amazon, your Tesco, your Best Buy, your Walmart, your Alibaba, and commerce media looking at the broader set of actors, including, you know, travel and automotive, etc. So that's how we differentiate and that's how we speak about those three elements to uh, to our clients. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And it's interesting what you said about the um, parallel with programmatic at the start. I think, Simon, in a column that you wrote for us, you talked about that as well. And obviously kind of knowledge of what retail media is when has come on leaps and, and bounds. But w- what education piece do you think remains to be done about retail media amongst industry professionals who might still not quite know what it means for their day job? Yeah, uh, just to, that actually ties in well with this, just to follow on from Kessie's point, it's so, it's not as uh, binary as kind of, you know, there's retail, there's commerce, there's shopper. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they all sort of intertwine with each other. Like retail media is a very much, for me, it's monetizing retail estate, point of purchase. 
commerce media is kind of the the wider piece. That's the open market, if you like. And then shopper marketing is the overall discipline of improving buyer experience and everything like that, right? So absolutely aligned on that. I think the challenge is, of course, there's overlaps in, uh, for example, if you look at the IAB retail media buyer guide of what is retail media, they talk about screens and digital out of home and various things, but not necessarily with the retailer. So commerce media for me is the extension of non-retail properties doing it as well. Mm -hmm. So I guess there's a challenge about brand V performance, commerce for your retail. And going back to your programmatic question, the, 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 the problem with a new channel per se is that it can often be incentivized to deliver premature not great behavior because when things like measurement and when things like planning capability isn't advanced, the easiest thing is delivered and the easiest thing might be for performance. So that's why, you know, real-time bidding and early days of programmatic was such a branding issue to the market because people rushed on it without any real thought about brand safety and context. My worry sometimes is that I think retail media could be seen as a line item where actually the education piece is to Kiesi's point, retail intersects and integrates with commerce and shopper. And, you know, it needs to be seen as a holistic sort of media plan mindset rather than something that's just a line item. That's my, I think it's a big, con not concern, but something that I think a challenge will very much happen in the media agencies in the next few years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And would, what would you say to that, Kiesi? For me, I think one of the biggest gaps um, that I see in terms of education when it comes to retail media is that, Retail media, when you speak to different people in the industry, especially, you know, people that have worked in media their whole life, it, it tends to be seen only through the lenses of media and only through the lenses of digital activations within that segment. But retail media isn't just about the media element. And, you know, if anything, it is also or even more so about, you know, the retail element. So understanding the dynamics between brands and retailers, you know, for example, the supplier-customer relationship, um, understanding uh, JBPs that are in place that are going to dictate some of the programs that you can activate and where, understanding the metrics that matter to brands beyond media metrics, all of these are key. So I'll give you an example. Many traditional media folks, and I don't mean that in a very insulting way. I'm a traditional media folks too. You know, I've worked <laughs> in media many years. Simon Smiley. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely getting older on that one, so yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We, we often tend to think that ROAS, for example, is the most important or one of the most important metrics for brands activating retail media. And actually, it's not because, you know, it doesn't show the full picture most brands we deal with care about market share in value. They care about gross margins. So being able to understand these things enables you to have a more meaningful conversation with clients, um, enables you to understand what measurement needs to be in place and what programs will deliver the best value. So that 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 is where I see one of the biggest gaps when it comes to, to education in regards to retail media. And the... The, to that point, it's the uh, different stakeholders involved. So, you know, exactly. if, I, if I was helping someone build a media plan and a media strategy, I'd be like, okay, what are the business objectives? What are the marketing objectives? And what's media's contribution to that? We should be treating retail media as a contributor to the overall shopper strategy. Uh, this part of it, as well as marketing. So it's complicated because you've got brands, you've got shopper team, you've got the retailer. But ultimately, I think the way the big education piece, which I still don't know the answer on, is how do we integrate 
uh, the needs of the shopper team with the needs of the media team and ensure that we're all helping each other out, not, you know, fighting for the cannibalizing and, and that sort of thing. I think that's a big piece that we all need to learn. Mm-hmm. Yes, I chaired a panel uh, at the Future Brands a few months ago and and one of the questions around kind of where does the budget for retail media come from is it from shopper teams is it from trade is it from brand performance and it's kind of that idea isn't it and so i've heard like so retail media is uh like where is it you've mentioned it should be like holistic and i've heard some people say that it's more of a standalone Mm. some that medium and some that it's more of a complementary medium but uh i'd be interested to know kind of what trends in uh, are you seeing in the market in, in when it comes to retail media activations? And maybe that can help answer those questions. Uh, Kiesa, if you wouldn't mind starting, what kind of trends are you seeing with the with brands getting involved in retail media? From a digital point of view, initially, the low-hanging fruit for any new entrant uh, in terms of retailers, but also any new entrant in terms of advertisers, has been on-site, you know, sponsored search or on-site products. Now, what you tend to see is that Retailers are starting to open up um, additional opportunities uh, in in an attempt to claim more of the marketing budget, but also in an attempt to crush the image that retail media is predominantly bottom funnel activations, right? So they want to come come to the market and really prove that it's a full funnel uh, channel. So we see retailers across the board, um, MNC across the board in the UK, certainly, but also you know, in other countries, because I'm, I'm, I work with different regions, partnering with you know, DSPs and social platforms and broadcasters to enable targeting uh, and measurement outside of their own and operated platforms. But then some retailers, and especially with, I'm seeing that more in, in the US, not yet quite uh, strongly in the UK, um, are even starting to test drive Um, giving access to their data to non-endemic brands for targeting and measure purposes. What I mean by non-endemic brands, uh, uh, it's brands that don't sell um, at the retailer. So, for example, if you are a Unilever and you sell your product at Tesco, you are an endemic brand. If you are, let's say, an insurance or automotive or whatever brand that don't sell at Tesco, you are a non-endemic brand. That makes I mean, that's quite interesting. The data clean room and that kind of the data collaboration is is almost more uh, more of an attractive prospect, uh, increasingly attractive, maybe I should say, um, as opposed to like that traditional advertising campaign in the what you called like the low hanging fruit. Uh, Simon, what would you say? What kind of trends are you seeing in the retail media space? Well, the trends again backs into the the, the position in the agency as well. For retail media to become more than a line item for a last click, a fulfillment, a performance, a ROAS thing, there's also the response, you know, retail media networks, they talk about, you know, if you look at, say, certain people, I don't know, it could be a critio of the world, Instacart, they're talking about ROAS a lot, right? And again, it's the language of the media buyer, not the language of the retailer, as we've as we've just discussed. But mm-hmm. and I think that causes a problem. How, how can agencies and retailers become confident in monetizing the brand, that the, their estate for brand marketing if they um, are talking about uh, first-party data, addressability and performance as the North Star for everything, yeah? And that's my concern. I think data can be used in a good way, but I think mm-hmm. my worry is that it can be, it's the unintended consequence, it's just going to become, you know, all everything into performance. Where's the brand growth? Where's the growth of physical and mental availability? Where's the true media sort of planning that goes into it? So I think there's some, you know, I'm seeing trends where people are jumping into it. You know, but 
my worry is that there isn't enough of the uh, holistic media thinking either on the retailer side or the shopper side. So for me, I think it's a, it's a, it's a key area to develop outside of just data. For example, we talk about commerce media. I'm thinking about if I was on the website of, I don't know, good BBC, good food, right? I want to see an advert for Old El Paso, right? Because I'm, I'm looking at a Mexican recipe. That's contextual. I think things like contextual semantic opportunities are really good. And I think it, it's a great way to maybe start educating people away from this whole, let's use data to retarget someone for olive oil. You know mm. what I mean? So mm. that's my big thing I think I, I'm hoping to see more of. Yeah, I do wonder with the deprecation of cookies um, uh, next year, what the impact of that will be on the adoption of retargeting. I feel media. like it's been overly co-opted a bit as well. I feel like it's a good sales pitch. I think to give people the deadline of cookie demise, it's a great way to basically, you know, enforce a first-party data strategy that might not be the need. There might not be a need for it. So I think retail media networks also have a big responsibility and retailers to sell media in the right way. That's not just about scaring people about retargeting. (laughs) (laughs) Kia said, what would you say? What would you say to that? I think I will tend to agree with, with Simon about what he said about it's being, you know, massively cold. <laughs> I think when it, when you you, you you look about, when you think about the deprecation of cookies um, alongside every other, you know, data privacy regulations, it has definitely, right, the, the combination of these two has definitely been a tailwind for retail media, right? Uh, especially when it comes to big retailers, because they sit on a gold mine of deep, and scaled first party data with the promise of close loop measurement, you know, that brands find, uh, most brands at least find, find attractive. Um, having said that though, right, not all retailers are created equal, um, either in terms of scale, in terms of willingness to share that data, in terms of resources, or in terms of capability. Um, so this is, I think, a reality that retailers themselves and also advertisers will have to accept and, and navigate. Because it is it is complex, right? You you need there's a lot of work and there is a lot of tech and there's a lot of resources and there's a lot of capital that goes into the process of collecting data, cleaning data, storing data, uh, structuring data, and sharing that data, especially in today's environment. So I don't think that um, I mean maybe that, that that will that will come a bit as a negative, but as things are today. You know, as retail data as the holy grail, it can be, but it still isn't. That that's just a reality. It still isn't mm-hmm. exactly that. Mm. It's um, at my last count, and and this might might be updated, or you guys might know better. There are at least seventy retail media networks and counting and counting with new entrants all the time. Who do you think will be next, and why? And as a little addendum to that, can any company launch a retail media network? I hope not anyone can do it. I mean, I think there's a certain level of capabilities you've got to understand, you know, planning, audiences, customer experience, measurement. There's a number of factors where you should sense check yourself and audit yourself if you're actually capable and scale of actually delivering a retail media solution. So that's the... uh, that's the first thing I'd say. But I think in terms of new sectors, there's some quite interesting things here. You know, I always think about the opportunities of, say, travel. You know, you look at marketplaces like Hotels.com and Expedia. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't they do it? I'm happy to be served an advert for a new Samsonite if I'm traveling, if I'm searching for a trip to long haul, mm-hmm. you know? And I think there's certain areas, you know, when I travel a lot, I always think about the connected experience and how the airline app could do more and things. And I feel like travel is a very holistic piece from financial services and insurance to fashion to various commerce connection. It's the same for other things, maybe like insurance and finance, but I always think that travel 
especially Uber because Uber are doing rides and stuff like that. I feel mm, like that's the that's, next. I feel like travels are something where I'd like to see more of it. Mm-hmm, that's the sort of next yeah. wave. I don't um, know. Yeah, well, I'm, not, I'm not a crystal yeah. ball reader, but yeah, I, I think, think if I was doing one, I'd do a travel. I mean, as you're saying it, it makes sense. Yeah, to it does, me. doesn't it, right? Yeah. So come on, guys, let's do it. Expedia. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but it's funny enough. I mean, when you asked that question, the first uh, sector that popped into my head was travel as well. Uh, because, and I, and, and I would like to, even if I don't have a crystal ball like, like Simon, I definitely would like to think that it's primed to be the next big sector in, in commerce media. Um, because when you think about it, right, for all the reasons that Simon has mentioned, they also have deep and skilled first party data, but also they've done commerce media in some way, shape or form for a long time. That's what a lot of people aren't aware of. But if you speak especially to people like Expedia, oh, yeah. they've been doing commerce media already with their, you know, uh, their partners. So it's just a matter of, you know, scaling what they've been doing to a wider and broader set of customers. Now, to the, to the other question, can any company launch a retail media network? They sure can try, mm-hmm. right? But is every company able and capable to launch a retail media network? I am less sure about that because it requires, like Simon already mentioned, uh, you know, investment in people. It requires um, investment in new processes. It requires investment in tech. It requires uh, overhaul of your ways of working. It requires setting up new commercial models. Um, and I don't think many companies have the capital for it, right? Because when you are launching a retail media network, it tends to be quite capital intensive. Having said that, I want to finish on a positive note so that people don't think I'm hating <laughs> on, on small retailers. Um, I still believe that, you know, many people can still take a bite of the retail media pie uh, without having to necessarily launch a full-blown retail media network, right? So you can, for example, I don't know, you know, opt to leverage um, only specific elements that are, you know, less capital intensive, like partnering with third-party tech vendors, you know, to facilitate access to certain parts of your inventory or certain parts of your data. So there still are ways for you to take part you know, into into retail media and 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 you know enjoy the the massive profits that are coming out of it. But for you to just go and say hey, I'm going to launch an RM and like Walmart has done a Tesco, not for everyone. Mm. Works think- both ways, though, doesn't it? Like the the small. I always think about this David V Goliath thing I've talked about before, and it's kind of if you're a small business, if you're a small retailer, yeah, you can plug in some Critio Tech and get some native placements on your site if it's worth it. You know, low cost investment put your foot in the water as an MVP. But also the other side of it, let's look at the positives. If you're a small business, I think if you're a small brand, you know, and you're growing a new brand, I think it's a great way to sort of grow your brand and get in and, you know, get in, in with those, you know, good networks as well. So if I was starting a business now that was food or drink, I'd definitely be excited about it. Mm, so it's kind of a bit yeah. more accessible. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I think um, that you were kind of saying about retail media there's been like that it's full can be full funnel but that there's also you have to be quite careful as a retailer or a company thinking about launching a retail media network it can be quite involved but there are sort of levers that you can pull because i think most retailers are kind of getting involved in the space because they need to diversify their revenue and the margins as you mentioned kia are quite 
quite good if you on that on, yeah, on, on that on that side <laughs> of thing compared to if like your pr- traditional sales especially Correct. with you know like the kind of the economy that we're in at the moment when margins are just being squeezed and squeezed um i know we talked about crystal balls earlier and you were talking about travel being the next big thing ripe for for retail media what other predictions do you both have for retail media over the next few years I mean, there's so many predictions for us or whatever we could make. So I, I will focus on the retail media network as a concept. From a retail media network point of view, I don't necessarily see consolidation happen the way that we saw, let's say, in programmatic advertising with companies buying each other simply because, you know, I don't see a Don Humby buying Nectar 360, mm-hmm. right? It's not just about media. It's also about the retail giants that are attached to those capabilities. But I do see a rapprochement. uh, I don't even know if that's English, but I'll see go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Similar to what, um, you know, Carrefour is trying to, to advocate in France with retail media networks collaborating to align um, on naming conventions, bringing together uh, their inventory and their data sources um, in a way that make it easier for buyers to access. You know, you you said uh, earlier that you counted that there are currently 17 retail media network, or more than 17 retail media network. But there is another layer of complexity to that number is that each retail media network also offers dozens and sometimes hundreds of retail programs that brands can activate. So this makes it really difficult to navigate at some point from a planning perspective, from an activation perspective, from a measurement perspective, trying to find that single source of truth becomes really difficult. So some form of aggregation or streamlining, call it how you want, would have to happen at a retailer level and then at an industry level if retail media really is to grow to the scale that we anticipate it to grow. Otherwise, the operational challenges alone are going to clamp its wings really fast. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of to get to that next gear, to, You have they have to think about that collaboration element. And, Correct. Yeah, interesting. And, and also simplifying, right? Streamlining and simplifying mm-hmm. what they bring to market because right now it's just mental, mental. Mm. A technical term. <laughs> <laughs> um, Simon, what what do you think? Any predictions, thoughts on the next few years well, in retail media? Like we like you touched on earlier on when I said, please don't go down the route of early days RTB and programmatic and things like that. I just hope that it's we we course correct soon on what retail media's deferred definition is. Well, you know, in terms of the commerce as a proposition and shopper marketing as a whole. Let's get that right. Let's get the right, you know, the right eggs in the right baskets and then move forward with it. Because my worry is if we put everything into a cost ROAS driven activity, everyone's going to pump money into that end and there's going to be, you know, diminishing returns. There's going to be problems. Then people are going to be reticent to look at brand advertising down the years and advertise on a deco screen in the Tesco entrance because they're worried about it's not going to perform and things like that. So first of all, I think there's a, uh, uh, that comes to my big point, which I do think needs to happen, which is measurement. And I think, to Kies's point mm. on aggregation, uh, whether it's IAB, is but this sort of thing, and I know people are trying to get to this kind of standardization and chartering almost of it, is this, mm. uh, what are we measuring? And, you know, what 
do we need to measure? What what measurement is relevant? You know, if it's basic like media stuff, for example, if I wanted to capture intent, I'd use paid search. We should be telling the retailers, if you want to, you know, improve the share of voice or share of shelf, whatever, um, do that POS, do that screen. If you want to like, you know, retarget, let's use that display. I think there needs to be more of a playbook about what to use, how, and with that, a measurement that's aligned. So Walk talks about, you know, on their measurement thing on retail media, they talk about marketing mixed modeling. You know, they've all got their pros and cons. If it's quite a digital and addressable, MMM's fine. But again, there's no, I mean, we're talking about media measurement as a problem anyway, regardless yes. of retail. Measurement is definitely <laughs> yeah. a yeah. topic. So, I mean, yeah. we're not going to solve it in retail, <laughs> but I do think retail does have an opportunity yeah. to uh, almost teach the rest of the media world how to do it. With all these brilliant Correct. placements and richness of data, let's find a common consensus of what to measure and why mm. that aligns with retailers and brands' needs, yes. right? And so much of that yeah. is around standardisation and all of that. It's going to get messy because I think the wall gardens thing is a problem. I think, you know, people moan about wall gardens, Facebook, Amazon. That's going to become a problem, I think, for retail media unless R&Ms if we don't sort, sort that out soon. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I always say, right, <laughs> Simon, to, to, to bounce on your, on your point about wall gardens, it feels like, I mean, for some of us that are old enough, that, you know, we said, oh, um, ad networks are dead. And it's like, long live the ad networks all over again. That, that's what we literally are experiencing with retail media networks. <laughs> so it's kind of nothing, no, it's almost like, you we'll know, it's the new... to double click again, I think it was right. <laughs> it's, it's the kind of new shiny thing, but it is also not that new. Um, Things repeat themselves, you know, right, in different names, right? Yeah. This is what happens. Exactly. So this is what, exactly. okay, I'm learning that actually this is just another wave of what's come before, essentially. Yeah. yeah. I think retail media has always been a thing as well, you know, from the guy who you know, selling our AC breakdown cover in the reception of Asda, you know, that's old school retail media, right? It's just a new way of looking at it. And I think as long as we get the definitions right, I think it's a really interesting, exciting, holistic discipline. But yeah, let's work out what we're actually selling and why to who, you know? Mm -hmm. Those core questions. Yeah. Yeah. Not not a a lot to cover at all. Not at all. No, it's fixed. All right. And now we're going to move to our quick hit section of the podcast, uh, where we go over a few uh, recent media related stories. So at the moment, uh, it is August. A lot of media land appears to be away. And actually, I very much appreciate the Kiese is uh, dialing in from the north of France right now. So, um, uh, yeah, thank you for or merci, I should say, for for doing that. Um, So it is a bit of a quieter media news week, but it's still earnings season. It's the kind of trail end of earnings season. Uh, Paramount came out with its earnings this week and reported fewer losses in its direct-to-consumer segment. So off the back of that, can I ask um, uh, Simon, uh, what streaming services do you sign up to, i.e. pay money for? Um, And is one of them Paramount Plus? (laughs) <laughs> I love a one month free trial. Uh, so, so I'll be honest. Uh, you know, the, the big the big answer to this question before we get started is, is the content. Content needs to be good, right? Mm. People don't buy something unless the content's good, right? So, I mean, I pay for Prime because I think that's ROI on that, right? Mm. Like, I get my free deliveries next day and I get some decent films. Do right? people actually ever get Prime just for the video and not? The oh, no, I, I don't know. I don't know why actually. It's a good question. But Netflix, I'll be honest, I still use my brother's login. I'm a separate <laughs> user, but I think he's going to kick me off or Netflix will kick Netflix me off that soon. Netflix will soon. crack down at some I'm point. I'm an Netflix LTV. I use now TV. Yeah, I use now TV. <laughs> like, I, that's fine. I dipping enough I've just started you know for example the Premier League I've just got the season ticket mm. for that uh, but yeah Netflix but Paramount for me I mean I, I binge watched this thing with a, someone on a ranch Kevin Costner what was that I Yellowstone Yellowstone okay. I, I started watching that and I thought 
this isn't worth <laughs> after the 30 days. I cancelled day 29. Oh, Kevin didn't make you stay. No, he didn't. But <laughs> to that point, though, on a serious note, like, because there is fragment, we talk about this fragmentation too much, and there is a lot. But I think basically, if the shows are good and the, there's good content and there's social proof that people are watching something good, you'll sign up to it. If not, I. I mean, just Paramount, there's not enough on there for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll change in future, but I, I tend to tend to agree. But uh, Kiese, what, what streaming services do you uh, sign up for? Um, Amazon Prime, just because I have, you know, I'm Amazon Prime customer, so by default, I have access to that and Netflix. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, Netflix is a, an interesting one recently with its kind of basics with ads tier and like it's password sharing crackdown so simon you might you might get <laughs> you might not have access i'm gonna have to kick my nephew off i think I, I had to um i had to have a conversation with my my mum last night being like so does does auntie Anne and grandma they also have access to the netflix because this means that i don't have access to the netflix anymore and then it was Anyone outside of their household no longer has access unless you're connected to their Wi-Fi on that. On that, so I'm me and my sister are going to have to get our own Netflix account, which is very sad. Um, <laughs> but it's fine; <laughs> we'll deal with it. Heart, Heartstopper series two. If the content's there, you'll pay for it. And Heartstopper series two dropped yesterday, so I have to. I have to get it. Okay. Um, but would you really just sign up to a new subscription service because you like one series though um, like, I, don't, I don't think Apple TV I mean, is another one miss out on it yeah. When yeah. I renewed with O2, I got uh, six months free Apple TV. Mm-hmm. And I, I I basically did everything I needed to watch, right? Mm-hmm. Ted, Lasso Ted Lasso and Severance and something else, which was really good. Uh, and and then I thought, oh, no, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Same with Disney Plus as well. Now, I feel like Disney Plus doesn't do enough incremental content for me. It's like a, it's an incredible treasure trove of great films mm-hmm. and content, but... There's no incrementality for me, for want of a better media phrase. There is, it, you know. it really depends <laughs> how much Marvel content you want to consume. <laughs> yeah, but, but also, it, it, uh, the, the thing with, you know, some of those, the, the Disney Pluses of this world is that, because I've tried that, right, you have children and they always, you know, blackmail you to get Disney Plus at some point. <laughs> uh, but it's like the, the in terms of programming and, you know, original programming or new content uh, creation, there isn't that much, actually. You mm. have maybe, I don't know, a dozen, I don't know, of, of new stuff coming up. And then you just have to go through the treasure trove of old, you know, Disney films and, and cartoons and, and blah, blah, blah. Is it really worth paying a whole subscription for it? For it. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's I'm kind of sure. you have to know what you're looking for, it I guess. It costs a living crisis as well. I was mm-hmm. saying to a mate the other day, like, if you think about it, you spend seven ninety nine on this, eight ninety nine on that. Mm-hmm. You think you're saving money being smart. And then it turns out you spent quite a lot on subscriptions you barely have time to watch anyway. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I think that they're trying to to kind of combat. Add is funding, that, yeah, yeah. And it... I just I just find it fascinating and and to answer your question Kiese, of would I sign up to a streaming service just for one show it is a very good show <laughs> but I <laughs> Heartstopper is a very good show but I, I I take your point completely or maybe should reevaluate my priorities um in other news also re- kind of related to streaming but of the music variety Apple uh, appears to be ramping up its competition with Spotify but also linear radio uh, by launching a new discovery station. Uh, this station plays music that are ba- is based on your interests. And so it's kind of like that whole uh, sort of personalised, but also the kind of... Is that a new idea, though? Yeah. Is that and- a new idea? Is that groundbreaking, though? <laughs> I mean, come on, let's be serious. So, I mean, it's you make not. a good point. Yeah, it's like the playlist or like, you know, a radio show, basically. Um, but 
are you guys team Apple Music or Spotify? Or we were talking before the podcast, Deezer, <laughs> Kiesi, because, you know. I guess Kiesi was, uh, was, uh, was Deezer, because yeah. I started at Deezer. Or radio. What's your music platform of choice? Radio, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was surprised. I was one of the people that used to say, radio is bad. But then I was surprised that every that I actually tend to listen to a lot of radio, which is, yeah, whatever. But, I mean, I don't subscribe to to all these, you know, Spotify and and stuff because you can find music through radio. And then also, again, because I'm Amazon Prime, I have, you know, the, no, I'd rather put my money into a good kebab than a, a music subscription. <laughs> okay, actually, that sounds good. I mean, we're getting to the point of day where I'm thinking about that now. Yeah. Oh, Simon, but, what do you think? Uh, well, a little bit of music. Something I don't tell many people. I'm actually, I actually play Popmaster every day. Oh, okay. I, used to ready to, I was actually on Popmaster. So have you now moved was to actually, Greatest I was, Hits I was radio? On, oh, yeah, I was actually on Ken Bruce's show in October. Oh, really? Yeah, and I really backed myself because I usually get back 24, 30 and actually got, went on and got 12. It was awful. But, you know, there were tough questions and even my dad <laughs> said so. Anyway, they went over to Greatest Hits radio and I read the other day that, you know, Ken Bruce's taken a lot of this is the power of certain brands like ken bruce is a you know people like listening to him yeah people have grown up listening to him he's taken so many users to greatest hits radio mm. greatest hits radio is not my cup of tea i don't love it it's the same you know a few songs played over and over with mm. you know they need to look at their frequency of ads as well but i do think that it's you know that you go with where you enjoy the mm. experience and mm. I, I went over with ken and i still play pop master i did okay. it this morning oh, yeah. before i got the train but spotify for me on the mm. music side all day long i think it's the great bar duolingo which i'm obsessed with at the moment mm. it is the best <laughs> app on my phone <laughs> Okay, so Duolingo is the best. And I know people always say, and there's always memes about it, saying Spotify is the only time people use my personal data and it doesn't feel creepy. You know, the end of the year when they do, oh, you listen to 5,000 minutes of the Rolling Stones. It's like, okay, cool. I okay, like fine. that. I'm, yeah. I'm fine with it. I, I, I love Spotify. I love the UX. I love the usability. I'm used to mm-hmm. it. But I think there's an inertia when, you know, you get used to a certain thing. And, and this mm. is why I get annoyed switching between OTTs. Like, the rewinds are different. Like, iPlayer goes off miles oh, and does. Yeah, Netflix yeah. is really chill. So I, I, for me, it's very much about aligning user experience regardless mm-hmm. of I think sometimes copying is good if you're going to create a line on user experience of rewinding things do you know yeah. what I mean yeah so I just wonder if this is maybe a bit of Apple kind of copying Spotify and then Spotify was copying radio with in terms of some but of the I had things an iPod. That done. I had an yeah. iPod in the noughties right the one with like loads of songs on yeah and that I started on Apple Music but then when I look at it now and I look at the downloads, it just reminds me of the stuff I listen yeah. to. So I evolved, I feel. Yeah, <laughs> I have uh, some speakers in my uh, in my kitchen, which has my iPod stamp on it. And it's just a time capsule from 2012 previous. Oh, wow. And it's fascinating oh, wow. to listen to. That's fantastic. Um, but I, I literally couldn't update that iPod if I wanted to because don't have iTunes anymore don't have any of that anyway. So, but it's, it's I find it like this whole kind of audio all kind of, Beg, borrow, and steal. I guess yeah. it's, but you know, most people, music or podcasting or radio or even streaming, like YouTube, like Amazon Music, target me as much as YouTube Premium. They they literally want my business, and I'm not. Apparently, YouTube Premium is great, but I, I've I always heard skip it. YouTube Premium is good, as yeah, well. and but and also, but Amazon Music. I mean, I love Amazon for certain things, but actually, they've got a lot of things. I, I I'm fine with Spotify. You know. Mm, yeah. Okay. I don't want to leave. <laughs> It's like Hotel California. Exactly. Check out. (laughs) I kid, I kid, I joke. Um, I think that's about all we have time for today. So thank you so much uh, to both of you for coming and chatting about retail media, kebabs, music, everything. I think we covered it. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much.
Thank you for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. This episode was edited by our production partners, Trisonic. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at The Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time.